that you have loved us in such a way before the foundations of the world. You loved us, you loved us, you loved us. It's, you've proven it over and over. And, and you've given us such mercy and grace, those who don't deserve it. And Lord, this beautiful music comes out of us now. We sing this because we believe this truth. We preach your word, all of it, the whole council, Lord, because you've changed our lives. So we praise you, Lord, for what you've done. It is easy to do that, Lord. Lord, I look around the room and you've brought so many people here, two services full of people who desire to know what the word says, desire to worship you. Lord, please bless this group, Lord. Not, not so much for ourselves, Lord, but for your glory. Cause this church to bring you much glory, Lord. Give us strength as we stand for truth and difficult times, Lord. May we learn to live for you individually, each and every one of us, Lord. And then so corporately when we come together, it's easy, Lord. It's easy to love one another and serve one another. Lord, fill our hearts with joy of the gospel. Lord, we think of those who cannot be here. There's many recovering from surgeries, uh, those going through treatments, Lord. Lord, we want them back. We want them to come and be with us, Lord. We pray you would strengthen them and cause them to return, Lord, when that's appropriate. Lord, we be with our missionaries scattered around the world. They are preaching this same truth we're preaching today. And Lord, it's so fun to be in conjunction with men and women scattered around the globe, preaching the word of God as you attract your elect from every tribe and tongue and nation, Lord. What a joy that you have let us be involved with what you're doing. Lord, may we do it well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All the scriptures are at our disposal to teach. I love that. And there's so many passages when I study the doctrines of grace, the doctrine of salvation, it's just all through the scriptures. So the fact is, one of the hard things about preparing sermons like this is, where do you start? I mean, from Genesis, in the beginning, God, I mean, all right, he's got everything, to Revelations, all speaks of the sovereignty of God. This great plan to save man, save his elect, and draw us to himself from every tribe and tongue, and one day we'll be before him for all of eternity. Well, there's so many verses, and this morning I want to sneak a lot in, so keep your pencil your pen ready to write down stuff. But let me just start with this verse to set the tone this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 6. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now listen to the wording of this. Who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Oh, hold on. We're going to read a little more in here in a minute, but we've got to catch that one. According to his great mercy. Now listen to the passive verbs here have caused us to be born again. So passive verse is something that's done to us, undeserving of something. So Peter, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes, Blessed be this great Godfather of our Lord Jesus Christ, who extended great mercy and caused Scott, put your name in there, to be saved. Caused it. See, the doctrines of grace are all through the Bible. Everywhere you turn, it is God's work, not ours. Not our choice, it's God's choice. These things are throughout the scriptures. It goes on to say this, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance. <laughs> and listen to this inheritance. This isn't like your 4013 that's plummeting. This is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. 
that's a 4013, baby. <laughs> that cannot be touched by sinful man. God has reserved that for you. And then he goes on this, reserved in heaven for you. Now listen to verse 5. Who, that's the believers, the elect, who have been caused to be born again, listen to this, are protected by the power of God. God himself protects his elect. That's staggering, isn't it? You know, you want, you want security? We're doing our best here. We're doing our best. Oh, there's no better security than God himself. This is a God who protects us with his own power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then verse 6 says this, and this is where I, I want the theme to be. In this you greatly rejoice. Listen, when I preach the doctrines of grace and you don't come away rejoicing, I either preached it wrong or you heard it wrong. Because it is something to be rejoicing over. <clears throat> it's something to be amazed at over and over that God in his sovereign wisdom would save such as us. Are you, are you amazed at his glory? Are you still amazed at grace? Answer that question. Thank you. I am still amazed at grace. Listen, Christ does not go around knocking on the doors of the hearts of sinners in hope that they'll be let in. That's such an abuse of Revelations 3.20, this church that was under discipline because they tossed Christ out of the center of the church. He doesn't knock on the doors and, and wait there as though he has no control over it. And if he were to wait on sinners, think about it, no one would come. In and of ourselves, we have not the ability to come. Spurgeon said this, I only know this. And Spurgeon knew a lot of things and preached a lot of sermons. But he says, I only know this, that if he had not sought me out, I would never have come to him. I hope you say the same thing. I hope when you're done with this series, you'll come away and say, if he wouldn't have sought me, I'm a dead man. Praise the Lord. He came after us. Now, there's a phrase that we find in Scripture all the time called, salvation is of the Lord. We hear that all the time. Salvation is of the Lord. It's taught all the way through the Scriptures. And I just picked out a couple of psalms just for you to jot down and marvel at. Listen to these. Psalms 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. How much more do you want? You got a rock, you got a fortress, and you got a deliverer. It doesn't stop there. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield. And then he calls the horn of my salvation my stronghold. Now, the horn of the salvation is the, the offense and defense, the greatness of God. I mean, it talks about his strength to save, right? These are terminologies we see all through. Salvation is of the Lord. Uh, Psalms 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? A lot to be afraid about there, right? Right now, crazy things going on, crazy people. But whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. <laughs> what a statement. That's a great defense. Defense wins championships, right? You can't get any better than that. The Lord is our defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Psalms 37, 39. i got to quit after this one because there's so many of these. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Listen to that. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. We're righteous because he saved us and it's from the Lord. The statement's all through the scriptures. We find it everywhere. In fact, it is the central truth of the scriptures that grace is, is taught and asserted all through the scriptures in the authority of God to save man. Now, 
This strong declaration is just found from Genesis to Revelations in every aspect of a personal salvation. And we really want to get this through. We're going to work our way into the table this morning. And, and it's this personal salvation that God has given us. And so he declares of his word that he is going to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he's going to do it independently of ourselves. Right? This is the doctrines of salvation. Now, the only contribution you and I give is our sin. It is our sin that nailed Christ to the cross. So if you want to have a, con a contribution, here's what you get. You're a sinner. <laughs> That's our contribution. That was our part of this whole deal. We were sinners and we put Christ on the cross. And so we realize that everything is done by God and through God. When you get to Romans chapter 9 through 11, what a precious text. Uh, Rome, I would really encourage you, if you're wrestling with these truths, spend a little time studying Romans 9 through 11. Now, I have watched preachers and pastors through the years preach on the book of Romans, finish chapter 8, that there's no separation in God, skip 9, 10, 11, and jump to 12. And for the life of me, I can't understand it because these passages are so precious and are so personal that God knows who's are his and he selects them out of the world and he showers us with his love and teaches that through those texts. Now, at the end of that great section, 9 through 11, this is how he winds up after all that teaching of his sovereign election of those who are his. He says this, from him and through him and to him are all things. So it is this all-inclusive statement that God has control of all things, all done in his love and his, his perfect perfection and wisdom. All things are through him, even our salvation. Now, so let me sum that up in my way of introduction. Salvation is determined by God, purchased by God, applied by God, and secured by God. Get that? Salvation is determined by God, purchased by God, applied by God, and assured by God. If he, didn't, if he doesn't do all those things, he's not God. He's something else, but he's not God. A sovereign God has control of all things. So from start to finish, salvation belongs to the Lord. And what we're doing in this series is presenting a triune God as the author of our salvation from beginning to end. And just think for a moment here how the triune gods of involved with this. We have a triune God, the Godhead, the Father, who lays down this plan with the Son and the Spirit. The Son steps out of heaven and executes the plan flawlessly and perfectly. The Spirit takes that truth and applies it to the elect and helps us understand what God had planned and what Christ had finished. All vital parts of our role, of the role of our redemption. And they together, as one God, rescue those who are perishing. Rescue those who are perishing. Is that not a glorious truth? Spurgeon said this, again, speaking about this passage in Romans. He said, stagger not at electing love. It's one of the highest notes of heaven praises. And that's so true. It's the praise of God that he could save a people for himself. A people so diverse so ethnically diverse, so um, time diverse, right? From, from all the way from Adam to the last believer, God has an ability to save people from all walks of life and all of time. Now, in a way of review this morning, 
is I want to answer some questions. A lot of people have questions when you go through this. And so I've picked out some of them, and, and I hope to answer them as we go through this. And we'll work our way to the table, right? Number one, election and predestination are established throughout the word of God. Election and predestination are established throughout the word of God. Well, some people might say, well, this is so hard. It's hard to understand these things. These deep theological questions arise why can't we just stick? They'll say, "Why can't we just stick to the Bible?" Ugh. Others, others. Well, hold on here. Others may say Christians need to stop arguing about theology and just tell the world about Jesus. Some, even further, will say, "Let's let's reason. Let's lead people uh, to Jesus, but let the let the sound doctrine go." But such, such babble <laughs> leads people away from what God said. God said he wants people to, to fear him, to understand him. He wants them to know sound doctrine. And the only way to know sound doctrine is the study of God's word. Remember this, brothers and sisters. Truth is never dangerous. Truth is not dangerous unless you reject it. Truth is not dangerous unless you reject it. And the Bible is never misleading. The Bible doesn't mislead you. The Bible is truth. It is the standard of truth. And, and remember this, God is not hiding his truth from you either. There's not some mystical things in here that only pastors know, right? All of us can read these same texts that we'll walk through today, and you can see the same truth. Now, the truth in the scriptures is sound doctrine. You have to understand that. The term sound doctrine is a very important word to us. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1. These are the passages. Some of the passages Rick read. We'll work our way to those. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And more importantly, as you turn there, sound doctrine should cause you to worship. I think that's why this church sings the way it sings and preaches the way it preaches and fellowship and all of that, all that joy you feel when you're in here, which I am so grateful for, is coming because we've held to sound doctrines. Long before I got in this pulpit, Roy and others preached the truth of sound doctrine. And that's what makes great joy here. Look at first Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. We'll start there and work our way down through a few passages. Notice what he says. Paul tells Timothy, retain the standard of sound words. Now, I'll stop right there. Why does he say that? Retain. Retain the sound words. Well, you're retaining something because it might be losing it, right? You have all kinds of things going on in Ephesus. Paul's reminding them. There's, a, there's roles of men and women that are getting skewed. There's been poor leadership there. All the things that you see in 1st and 2nd Timothy and the book of Ephesians, these things are, he's trying to help that church grow. And he's reminding Timothy, retain this sound words. Don't lose sound doctrine. The minute you do, your church is in trouble. And this is the problem today. So often, churches abandon truth. They're afraid of their people and they won't give the truth. And so he tells Timothy, retain this standard of sound words which you heard from me. This is being passed down. The truth is not Paul's. He's taking it from the word of God and he's passing it on. And in faith and love which, you are, which are in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 14. Guard. Guard it. One of the things us pastors, the 
elders of this church do is we guard the truth of the Word of God. We guard it. And when somebody comes with something that's outside of the Word of God, that's been twisted or turned, we identify that and we make sure we guard the flock from that. And it's happening in Paul's day. There's all kinds of people. We know that there's already been men that trying to pursue the church and say, oh, hey, this whole resurrection thing is done. Don't even worry about it. Paul says, look, Timothy, you better guard this. And notice through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, that's the power we have. I I preach by the strength of the Spirit of God in my life. Left to myself, I'm I'm pretty empty. But the Spirit of God who, who comes upon you at salvation, who spotlights the Word of God, strengthens you to preach this truth. So Timothy, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, look at this, treasure which has been entrusted to you. Can you imagine having a treasure, a a great treasure chest given to you, and you left it in the trunk and you never opened it? It's worth an unbelievable amount of riches, and you never looked at it. Well, yeah, Aunt Granny, someone gave me this, and it's back there. You can look at it? No. See, here, this is the treasure of God written on the pages of Scripture. It's a treasure. Do treasure the Word of God. I get really, um, I have to say this right, Gene will have to correct me on this. Um, I don't like missing my Bible reading. <laughs> my personal reading, not just what I study to, to present to you on Sundays and Wednesdays. I don't like to miss my Bible reading. It's my treasure. I'm guarded. You try to take it away from me, <laughs> you'll, you'll run into me, right? I, I like my time with the Lord. It's a treasure. And so here Paul is reminding Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus, treasure these great doctrines. Don't hide them under a bushel. Drop down to chapter 2, verse 2 with me. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in grace, not legalism, not rules, not a bunch of those things. Be strong in grace that leads you to the great doctrines. Notice this, verse 2, the things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Stop right there. He's been teaching these sound doctrines forever, right? Paul's been teaching them and teaching them and teaching them. And he has many witnesses that have heard him teach this. Do you think we're the first to look at the doctrines of grace? We, we already saw in John that Christ taught more on predestination and election than anybody in the scriptures. And the apostles just pick it up and run with it, don't they? And so he says, you heard me teach these things. The, the things is referring back to this sound word, sound doctrine. And then he says, not only teach them or, or, or teach the ones that you heard me teach, entrust them to faithful men. So this is why we have a seminary, coming Bible school. This is why we have BFGs and Bible studies and discipleship groups. We are, we are called to entrust truth to you so you'll entrust it to somebody else. This is the way the church works. When the church stops with me being the preacher, you only doing the listening and never touching the word of God, we've got problems. Big problems. All this sound doctrine is handed down to me. I hand it down to you. You hand it down to the next person, so on. Dads, teach your children. Drop down with me to chapter 3. Verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. Notice that word, all scripture. Why do people want to skip Romans 9 through 11? Why do so many, I've seen, they just don't even want to touch Ephesians chapter 1 because there's a word in there called predestination. (laughs) 
God predetermined all things before the foundations of the world. There's just a whole group of people in Christianity that don't even want to touch that. But what do we do with this verse? It says, all scripture is inspired by God. Breathe, the product of God, it's profitable. See, this is why we teach all of the counsel of God's word, because he breathed it. He produced it. It's profitable for teaching. Notice it's also profitable for reproof. Reproof means expose error. There's a lot of errant thinking of how God saves. And one of the reasons we teach the doctrines of grace is to help correct that. People who think that they have made their own way to God somehow are really in error, aren't they? I'm not saying you're not saved because, you know, when I was little, I walked an aisle and raised a hand and walked on, and I, I believe I chose God. And, and then as somebody lovingly came along and discipled me, I began to understand, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I didn't save myself. God, in this loving act before the foundations of the world, saved me. And my worship grew, and my love for him grew, and my obedience grew, and everything started to go in the right direction because I now understood what he did. Isn't that what happened to you? It's exactly what happened to you. And so sometimes we need reproof, awesome, and we need correction. Get back in your lane. You're out of your lane. Get back in your lane. The Bible does that for us. You're outside your lane. I control who saves and who's condemned. See, the Bible has to correct us in that because, well, I just don't think that's fair. Get back in your lane. God's perfect in all that he does. He's been telling us that from Genesis 1. Get back in your lane. There's times for correction, isn't there? Notice there's times of training and righteousness. This is how God wants something done. This is the right way, according to God, what brings him the most glory and helps us have the most joy in our obedience. So that the man of God may be adequate. He'll have what he needs. He'll be equipped for good work. And then drop down to chapter 4. I solemnly charge you with all of this stuff in the presence of God and Jesus Christ. Now look at this phrase. Who is the judge of the living and the dead. See from the beginning Jesus already knows who the living and the dead is. Do you think it's a surprise to him when people go to hell? Or when people are saved? See he's the judge of the living and the dead. He knows who the living are. He knows who the dead are. And by his appearing in his kingdom, then he tells his great exhortation, and this is my main point here, is we preach the word. Not Scott's word, not what Scott thinks, not what the people think. Well, you know, Scott, that's not going to go over well. People are going to leave the church if you teach on the doctrines of grace. Well, that wouldn't be anything new. Because it often rubs up against what people want to believe about God. Their little God that they've designed and made, a little designer God doctrine, sound doctrine, doesn't often fit in that paradigm. And so Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. And notice he's to preach it in season and out of season. Well, there's times us that preach the full counts of God's word, we feel like we're in season. Somebody's hunting us. And then there's other times we feel out of season because nobody else is preaching it. But we're to do it. Day in and day out, preach the word of God. That's why I preach expositionally. If you're here visiting, normally I'm working through a book. I'm doing a little series on salvation right now, and we're using the whole Bible. But normally I'm working through a book, verse by verse. I want to know what God says, verse by verse. Verse by verse, what is he talking about? What does he have? How does he want us to live for him? And so forth, right? Now notice, he says again, reprove. Reprove, expose error, rebuke. Sometimes you just got to come up and rebuke somebody kindly with love and great patience, as it's going to say. You got to rebuke somebody. There's times people are just flat wrong. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that. 
And we need to do it with grace and mercy. But you only can do it if you know your Bible and you've been under preaching and you've studied it yourself. Then it says to exhort. I love the word exhort. I'm kind of an exhorter if you haven't picked that up. It's one who encourages, challenges. Preaching should be challenging, shouldn't it? You know, somebody today come in and pat you on the back, rub your belly. You're doing great. See you next week. Drop your offering off on the way out. No, we're to exhort. The Bible is full of authority. It's God's very word, right? We speak the truth. And, and we should not be passive in some of this. You know, well, maybe you should follow Jesus. <laughs> no, no. Is he your Lord? Is he your master? Do you lay your life down and follow the Lord Jesus Christ? There's an exhortation that comes with, but note it's all done with great patience and instruction. So fun to see the diversity in this room, not ethnically or anything else, the diversity of growth. Some of you have been in the faith a long time. And as I preach and speak with you, you, you revel in these truths. And then there's some that are younger in the faith in this, and they're coming to this and starting to understand, I never knew this. I never saw that. I wondered why our pastors always skipped by those passages. And you're learning and you're growing. And, and so all this is happening and, and we're patient. That's why we keep preaching it, keep teaching, keep discipling, keep leading towards Christ. But look why. Verse 3. For the time will come, I think it's here, when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is written 2,000 years ago, brothers and sisters. But wanting to have their, their ears tickled. Well, if you ever tickled someone's ear, you probably should only do that with your spouse. But the idea of it is you're saying what they want to hear. And notice what they do. They will accumulate for themselves. Now look at this phrase here. Teachers, now this is in accordance to their own desires. Not to the desires of God, not to what the Bible says, not to sound doctrine, but to their own desires. Love is love. And if you don't teach it love is love, we're leaving. God is love. God defines love. And he's clearly defined it in the Bible. And that's sound doctrine, right? And so that doesn't work. And so they go down and they find another person. Someone who will say, oh, love is love. Oh, it's all right. God will forgive you. We'll all get there. Some of you may get burned up in purgatory for a little while, but you can get there someday. It's all going to be okay. They're heaping up teachers as I speak <laughs> for that. Look at verse 4. And they'll turn away their ears from the truth. They'll turn away from the truth. This doctrine, many people have turned away from this truth. Because what they did in their minds, and you and I did it when we were early, when we came to these and started hearing the doctrines of grace, we go, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, that's not fair. God chooses some and lets others perish. That's not fair. And we start coming at our own feelings and our emotions. We come that way and we don't listen to what the scripture says. That God chose people from the foundations of the world. He knows who's are his. All that the father gives the son, he'll lose none of them. It's crystal clear in the scriptures, but it doesn't fit with our paradigm, does it? And so we fight against it. And so people will heap up those who will teach in accordance to their own desires. And they'll turn away from the truth. And notice they'll turn aside to myths. Listen, if you believe you're saved because you chose God and you were mustered up enough strength in your wicked, sinful, dead works and dead position, that's a myth. Because <laughs> the Bible says you're dead in your sins and trespasses. 
There is none good, none righteous, none that follow him, none that seek good. We've read all these verses, haven't we? And so when we reject that truth, we believe a myth. And that's what happens so often. And this is why these verses are important. So if election and predestination, the doctrines of grace, is an important feature of the larger doctrine of salvation by grace alone, then we must make it clear that God saves, now listen to this, by his power, by his wisdom, by his righteousness, by his choice and not man's. That's what the Bible teaches. And if the loving, faithful teaching of of grace alone offends people, and we must be gracious, I, I, I can't say this enough, we must be gracious and kind and teach the love of God when we teach the doctrines of grace, then we may not retreat from this, go- this, this, this doctrine. Because it is times it is offensive, but look, there's times somebody has to say something to you. You're not within God's will. And we don't like that. Your marriage is not what it's supposed to be, or your, you know, whatever it is, you need somebody to speak into your life. And here, the most important thing of your life is that God has saved you. And if we can't speak rightly according to the scriptures, what are we going to say to you? Oh, peace, be well, you know, see you later. No, no, we've got to say, listen, brother, I am so glad God saved you. Sister, it is a miracle that God has done. Let me tell you what Jesus has done. Let me show you in the scriptures that he knew you from the foundations of the world. And when you teach that truth, people go, really? He knew me? Yeah, you. Before the world began, he knew you. I mean, we sing a song here, I think we're singing at communion time, that our names were written on his hands and his heart. This is an old, old song, written in the 1600s, I believe. This has been taught because he didn't go to the cross just meaningless for everybody. Remember I was teaching on this last week that he died for the whole world? Well, wait a minute, that's not universal. I'm meaning people from every tribe and tongue and every walk, he's died for them. He's drawn people from, from all walks of life to himself so that around the throne someday there will be people from every walk of life that he's ever created. And some, he leaves them in their condemnation because he's right and just to do that. And so there are times we must come up against this. Romans chapter 11 I spent a lot of time in 9 last week, but 11, I just want to read you a couple of verses out of this, 5 and 6. In the same way, then, there has also come to be, at the present time, now listen to this, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Now, what do you do with that? (laughs) There has come to be a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Well, what's a remnant? A lot. (laughs) It's a group of people that God has set aside for his purpose, right? And so the Bible is just clear. It's just clear. I mean, you can twist it and turn it if you want, but it's pretty clear. Then he says this, verse 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So think about this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. Lest you boast? Do you think there'll be anybody in heaven that'll stand in front of Almighty God and say, I'm here because I chose you. I mean, can you show me a verse? See, boasting, the only thing we're to boast in, as the Bible says repeatedly, is to boast in the Lord. And the doctrines of grace, though we don't fully understand them, they're amazing to think that God could do all this perfectly before the foundations of the world, execute it perfectly. Though we don't fully understand it, we marvel at it. We marvel at it. Marvel that he would love us in such a way. 
And yet, there's so much pushback to it at times. And we teach this truth to bring God glory, to show the depth of his love, that he would love you. So many people want to cross the line. I've, I've said this so many times with people. They go, well, what about them? I go, well, that's not your job. <laughs> Do you think God can't handle that? Who's there and who's here? He's really good at saving people. He's perfect in all that he does. Let him do that. Find the next person and preach the gospel to him. Down through Christendom, we've had battles through this, and there's no more uh, soldier for the doctrines of grace than Martin Luther. In the 1500s, he wrote a book called Bondage of the Will. You know, I don't know if many of you have read that. If not, you should. It's very fun. He, he takes on particularly person and this whole philosophy that man has charge over his eternity. And so Luther takes it on. Let me read you part of this. It's old English, so bear with me. How much more fitting is it for the wretched men like ourselves to ascribe to God, who knows all men's hearts, the glory of settling the way in which the person to whom the occasion when and what the truth should be spoken. He himself knows what should be said to each and when and how. So your creator must learn from you, his creature, what may useful be preached and what not. Was God so stupid and thoughtless that he did not know what should be taught until you came along to tell him how to be wise and what to command? No, Luther says, if God has willed that these things should be openly proclaimed and published, who are you to forbid it? The Apostle Paul, in his epistle to Romans, frankly discusses the, these very matters, not in a corner, but openly, publicly, before the whole world. Here I see you are taking a view that the truth is the use, usefulness of scriptures should be measured and decided according to the feelings of men. Right? People get all feeling about this, don't they? So that nothing henceforth will be true, divine, and wholesome but what these persons will please and will find pleasing and acceptable and what is not so will at once become useless, untrue, and harmful. That's what they do often with the doctrines of grace. What else do you here plead for but that the words of God may thus depend on and stand by and fall by the will and authority of men? Man, Luther was hot when he wrote this. Because he's, he's dealing with people who are rejecting that God has authority in this area. And you've heard me say this from all over, outside of this, this series. A lot of people believe that God was sovereign in salvation, I mean creation. And he's sovereign in end times. But somewhere in the middle he just lets all that go and lets men figure it out for themselves. It's just not consistent. It's not the Bible. Our God knows who is his. Now... Clearly, um, God entrusted us with the wisdom of the scriptures, doesn't he? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things he has revealed belong to us. So he's revealed these truths, and we should not, we should not reject them. We should study the full counsel of God's word. Now, I, 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 love, I love writing things in my Bible. Many of my preaching Bibles, I've had tens, if not hundreds, of verses on the doctrines of grace in my Bible. Because usually I'm somewhere preaching and there's someone who opposes this. And I always say, okay, I, I, I'd love to spend some time with you. You bring one verse for every one of your verses, I'll bring ten. Is that fair? You just have to get one and then I'll bring ten. And they always bring ones that they're, they just miss the context. And I go, oh, whoa, whoa, that's mine. You took that out of context. 
But let's use it because you brought it. Let's look at it here. So let's, let's go to that passage and let's walk our way down through it. And I'll show you that it actually belongs to me. And then we'll work on another one you have. Because there's just so many, right? I mean, you just go through, go through just Matthew Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Christ, I showed you in John, Christ is the greatest teacher of predestination and election. Over and over. Then you get to Acts and hear the birth of this church. I'm actually going to show you a passage at communion time uh, of this. And then you get to the Pauline epistles. And you work through these 13 epistles of Paul. And every one of them teach this truth. And then James joins. And Peter joins. And, and the whole Bible and so if the Holy Spirit is unashamed of the doctrines of grace and inspired the writings of God's word, we should not be ashamed of it. We should embrace it and say, wow, oh, every song we sang had some mention of the doctrines of grace in it today. All you have to do is learn to look for it. and You go, oh, wow, that's a great line. Thanks, Hayward, for picking that song. No interpretation came by human effort or human will, but the Holy Spirit moved men along. So read your Bible. Observe it, interpret it, believe it, and apply it. That's our job. Read your Bible, observe it, interpret it, believe it, and apply it. That's what we do. That's discipleship. Second thought. Election and predestination display the quality of all of God's attributes. Election and predestination display the equality of all God's attributes. Psalms 135, verse 6. Whatever the, Lord, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Some people don't like that verse. You know why? Because we can't do that. <laughs> I mean, you ever walk, you know, well, I'm doing whatever I please. Well, how long does that last? Bill's got to be paid, you know. I mean, all kinds of stuff. I want to stay up all night. I can barely make it to 10. Uh, you know, listen, we don't, we're not God, right? But God is God, and he's perfect in all that he does. And he, whatever he does, he, ple- he does, he, it pleases him, he does, and he does it, what? Perfectly. So that includes even our salvation, brothers and sisters. So the Bible portrays God as the only one in absolute control of all things, and the doctrines of grace prove that truth is not just truth, but it's personal truth. God knew Scott before the foundations of the world. That's personal. And it's perfect. It's perfect because that's what God did. So in his infinite wisdom, in order to display his infinite glory, he determined the eternal destiny of everyone, right? Some he chose for salvation, others he let go. We saw that in Romans. You can't, you can't miss it, right? You got Pharaoh, you got Esau, you got, you got Judas. I mean, it just goes down through the Bible, right? There are some that he chooses not to rescue out of sin. He leaves them under the condemnation that they're already under. John 3, verse 18. A lot of people love John 3, 16. You better read 17 and 18. Understand the context there. He leaves some in their condemnation. But he's perfect in all that he does. So it does not depend upon man who wills or man who runs, but upon the mercy of God. Now... Someone may ask this question, whether that the God of the doctrines of grace is a good and loving God. And they may say, well, if, he's, if he could choose everyone and he has the power to do it, why doesn't he do it? Well, that's, that's what we're after in this, this thought here. How would that show all of his attributes? How would it show his justice? Would God ever be described as a just God? If he let everyone in, 
Think about that. Where would he ever show his wrath? Where would he ever show his particular love? See, grace would be cheapened, wouldn't it? You know, yeah, your kids are, why well, played and my boys played, you know, you got a trophy because you were the best. Now what do we do? Everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, I, I don't know what your view on this is, but there's really no distinction, right? Everything gets cheapened now because of equality and all the stuff that's going on, right? Oh my goodness. Hey, believer, are you overwhelmed with the grace of God? If he knew you from the foundations of the world, and our understanding of the scripture is that he didn't have to save us, but did, is not grace amazing? And then to know and understand that there's a God of holiness and justice, a God of wrath, and that that has to be on display somewhere, right? He's going to display that somewhere. What? With who? What? How would he do that if there was never any that he chose for condemnation? I don't know why. I don't know how. I mean, we're in, the, we're in the deep end of the pool here, but this is what the Bible says, right? This is what God does. And we honor him and we believe him. But brothers and sisters, I have been teaching this from the beginning of the series. Our election and predestination is based in the love of God. Turn back with me to Ephesians 1 real quickly. I have to keep beating this drum because somewhere along the line people miss this. And they hear it and then they forget. This electoral love, this predetermining love that God has was a willful act by him. It was done by an infinite loving heavenly father that takes some to be his family, right? And and show his grace and mercy and and brings us into this forever family. Look at this in verse 4. Let's go back to this. Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us, look at that plural pronoun, us, in him, in Christ, all done through the finished work of Christ, before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. That's our standing after he saves us, right? And then look at verse 4 and 5. It's a bad break here. In love he predestined us to adoption. Election is based in the love of God. He purposely chose you to be his forever family. Let him deal with his perfect judgment of people. He's really good at that. Let him deal with that. Praise him that he knew you from the foundations of the world. And how do you know that? Because he plunged your heart with truth and you said, I'm a sinner. I'm going to repent. I'm going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. He proved he could do that in your life. And he made you his his son and daughter forever. He did this all in his love. And, and, and notice this. He did it through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the finished work of Christ. According to the kind intention of his will. Verse 5. Oh, so many people struggle with this. They go, wait a minute. You think that's mean? The Bible says it's kind. So somebody's wrong here. God in the Bible or you? Anybody want to take a guess? We're wrong. Because the Bible says he did it in his kind intentions. He he chose us from the foundation of the world in his love. He predetermined us to be his children. I don't know why. I don't know how. But that's what he did. And that's what the Bible says. So you're either on one side of the argument or you're on the other. 
And, and, and if you're here, a friend, or you're listening to this, and you're kicking against the goads here, stop kicking and just start believing. <laughs> and just say, God, help me. I don't understand this. Great men have gone to their grave. I've read their biographies and said, I've never got my mind completely bound this, but I praise him he did it anyway. And that's the way you and I will go to the grave someday. Because we'll go, I don't know, God, why and how, but I am so grateful you knew me before the foundations of the world and I could not escape your grace. That's salvation. One closing thought on this point. Think about omniscience. If God does not elect those to be saved and let those go into judgment, where's his omniscience? It's going to be limited, isn't it? I mean, just think one after another. Let me give you one more. One more of his, uh, I think, communicable attributes, but he does it perfect. How about his jealousy? Whoa, wait a minute. Is that an attribute of God? Absolutely. The Bible says over and over that he is a jealous God. Now, what happens when you and I try to be jealous? (laughs) Crash and burn, right? But God, in his perfection is jealous for his children. He fights for his children. He protects his children. He picks his children. It's his family. And he laid down his life for his family. He is extremely jealous of his children. You would never see that if the doctrines of grace were not true. Because he would not be jealous for a a group of people. He'd be, well, I guess everybody. We're all going to get there. Cheapens grace. Just do a little study on the jealousy of God someday. Track it down through the scriptures. And you'll walk away and go, man, do I have a God who loves me. He is perfectly jealous and he defends me as his own child. Dads, what would you do for your children? Uh, A lot of us dads have our children out of our home, but what would we still do? We'd lay our lives down, wouldn't we? And we're always jealous for them, right? We always are jealous for our children, right? We're always thinking about them. And, we, and I think about your children, but I promise you I pray a little more for mine than yours. <laughs> Sorry, I'm working on it. But they're my children. I'm jealous for them. And see, that, that highlights our God. And the doctrines of grace do such a great job of that. Ephesians 1.11, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of of his will. He works it all out. Let him have it. Don't take this from him. Don't try. You can't, but don't try. Last thought. Three, election and predestination, predestination perpetuate an understanding of God's word and a true love of him. Well, you have people who get around this doctrine and they're, they're fatalist, right? They, they may come up with something and say something like this. Well, If God is electing his chosen, then I have no need to repent of my sins and trust in Christ because if God predestined me to salvation, I'm going to be saved regardless. I have people tell me this. I've had people tell me this. Similar, some other people might say, well, why should a believer strive against sin and labor to be holy and like God and be transformed daily into the image of Christ if, if we're all predestined and we're just going to go to heaven? Still, Others might even go this far. This is a hyper-Calvinist and all this is wrong. But they may say, why don't we even preach the gospel to the lost? And call sinners to Christ. Surely God will just save his elect. 
It's a fatalist view, right? It's actually the view of an unsaved. That's a godless, pagan view. Unfortunately, it's moved into some Reformed theology. I call them Reformed confessionalists. They go, oh, doctrines of grace are cool. I don't have to do anything. I'm saved from the foundations of the world. They just live, live, live worldly lives. So they've believed a truth, but not unto salvation. And so here we come to this poisonous fruit that rejects God's word. It's full of spiritual darkness and sin, and it dishonors the gospel. And then for those who struggle with this, they and have this fatalistic view, though we acknowledge that God is in control of all of his creatures and all of his acts, God, listen to this, God, we believe this, that God decreed not only to bring about the end result, our eternity with him, chosen from the foundations of the world, but he brought about the means to get there. He brought about preaching of the word of God. We just read, Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. He tells us to take the gospel to all of the world. He tells us to live transformed lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, not only did he decree or the end where I'll spend eternity with the Lord, but he decreed everything in between that. He decreed the church. So if we move to a hypo-Calvinistic view or this fatalistic view, why would we even meet? See, it's a rejection of God's word. We believe the whole counsel. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Preach the gospel to yourself. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. You know these, listen to this. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Then he says this phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the legalist goes, look, right there, see? You're supposed to work and get your salvation. Read verse 13. It says this, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. (laughs) So our salvation is the work of God. Our progressive sanctification, that growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, being more like him, is the work of God. So let me say this. If you're fighting God in an area, you're going to lose. (laughs) Your marriage is in trouble and you're not doing anything about it. You're not growing in Christ. You're not growing, you're not studying, you're just coming and hearing this guy that's a little bit wound up some days and saying, no, it was really good, and leaving, and never searching the word on yourself. You're in disobedience to the means that God has provided. He wants you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to be a Bible student. He wants you to open the Bible, search the deep things of God, yea, the deep things of him, plumb his depths, get to know him. That's part of the process. It's not just, well, I'm saved from the foundations of the world, see in heaven. It's everything in between God has ordained. It's why we forgive one another. It's why we love one another. We greet one another. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. This is the means of God in our lives, brothers and sisters. This is our Lord. It's a whole package. It isn't just believing that, well, if I'm elect, I'm going to get there. Oh, my goodness. God has control of all our lives. My breaths are numbered because of a sovereign God. How are you going to use your breaths? How will you stand before the Lord? Will you fight for this life?
Every step of the Christian obedience is undergirded by God's sovereign purpose. He chose us that we would be holy. Right at the end of Revelations chapter 17, the Bible says the armies of the Lamb overcome the world, for they are, now I want you to listen to these three terms given to us, for they are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. That's the people that be in heaven, the called, the chosen, and the faithful. That's who's going to be in heaven. That's who you'll be riding with the Lord. <laughs> Crowns on our head and white robes. Coming back with the Lord in glory. Is this who you are? Let me close this portion as we move to the table with just a couple questions. Are you worried about whether you are the elect? Are you worried that you are maybe not elect? Several people through this series have come up to me and talked with me. We've met with them. We've had other pastors and people meeting with them. Several people have asked this question. And the answer is fairly simple. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that God in his sovereign wisdom sent his son to die for your sin? Do you believe that his son's death took care of your past, present, and future sins? Here's one. Have you repented of those sins? If you've never repented, you may believe an academic statement that I just gave, but if you've never repented, you're not of the elect. Let me tell you when you are the elect, when you repent. You go, I can be the elect if I just repent? That's how it works. God moves us to repent. It is not something you do on your own. You'll know it. Do you all know me? When, you all know this? When you got saved, you knew God was doing something in your life, Right? You knew the depths of your sin. You knew what you deserved. And all of a sudden, you realize, I have no hope. I need Jesus. <laughs> That's the elect. Play around with Jesus and maybe put him in the back pocket because if that, what that guy's saying is true, I don't want to go to hell. Ugh. I don't have the ability to look in your heart, but that scares me. The question is answered, do you believe the gospel and have you repented of your sins. There is no fear now. There's no fear. You don't have to be afraid. Yes, you go, well, Scott, I still struggle. I still struggle. We're in this flesh, right? We're wrestling not with just our own flesh, but principalities of this air. We're in this spiritual battle trying to live this life. It's difficult at times, isn't it? But brothers and sisters, you understand, if you're truly elect, you know God saved you. And though you may fall, you get back up because you repent and you stand on your feet and you say, oh God, thank you for being so patient and gracious with me. See, it just comes out of you. Non-elect, don't talk this way. Non-elect, don't pray. Don't weep over their sins. Don't trudge through, uh, trudge through the scriptures and, and work hard to understand this. Non-elect, don't do that. But the elect do. So, if you said, yes, I do believe I'm a sinner and I repented of my sin, I believe Jesus died for my past, present, and future sins, you are elect. There's no secret password here. Jesus loves you and died for you. And all of heaven awaits you. Father, thank you for these reminders, Lord. We wanted to do a review because it's so deep, Lord. It's so full when we study this doctrine. It's not just some lightweight truth, Lord. We wrestle with the depths of these things. 
Lord, you've done things before anything existed. Before there was anything, you made these decisions. That mindset is outside of ours, Lord. We, we wrestle with those profound truths. And yet, Lord, your spirit plunges those truths into our hearts and we believe them. And not only do we believe them, these truths begin to transform our lives, Lord. And we give you credit for that. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who is struggling right now, wondering maybe that they're not part of the elect. Right now, Lord, you would cause them to understand the simplicity of the gospel. Their sins are taking them to hell. There's only one that can rescue them. That's Jesus Christ and his finished work. Give them faith, Lord. Cause them to respond now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.